welcome to Open Source 12 here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. And uh, Adam, i got to tell you, I relived uh, our burger tour of however many years ago that was as my pandemic dream this week. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking hamburgers. So hopefully when uh, we get all jabbed up, we can reboot that and make that a, a part of the show again once we're all together. You're dreaming about hamburgers like that. Okay. The, the guy from Popeye. What's his name? It's Wimpy. Wimpy? Yes. Yeah. Because there's a whole place named Wimpy's come to think of it. Mm. <laughs> Which didn't make the last tour, but could make the next one, I suppose. Right? Well, I don't know. They've purged all reference of, of to Wimpy from Wimpy's. I don't like. I, it, I don't. I don't. Rem, I don't remember like a single piece of Popeye regalia in Wimpy's. So right. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have to boycott it on those grounds. I don't know. That seems was, silly. I look forward to doing silly stuff like that. I'm gonna boycott Wimpy's because there's no, there's no effigy <laughs> of Wimpy on the wall anyway. <laughs> the royalties were too much or too rich for them, probably. Oh, oh maybe. Uh, I can't imagine why. Open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 6 City Councilor Mark McKinnon, who will talk to us about a couple of busy weeks at City Council. There was the heritage designation of the reformatory lands last week and the upcoming decision about ward boundaries and council compositions next week. So we have Mark on at the perfect time. That will be at the bottom of the hour for the first part of the show. We're going to talk about the leadership drama with the Federal Green Party. Annamie Paul survived a non-confidence motion for now, but can she build back and make a comeback? We will see. But first, uh, Doug Ford finally did it. He made history as the first Ontario Premier to use the notwithstanding clause of the Constitution to pass Bill 307, which is essentially Bill 254, which, among other things, uh, limits third parties from advertising uh 12 months before an election so pretty much right now and uh yeah all around uh i, I think andrew coin pointed out that uh, this was a spectacularly crappy bill beyond just the constitutional thing about uh third-party advertising you know it's also the up the amount individual donors can give to parties up the amount to which um the, the government uh tithing i guess uh, gives to uh, political parties for election campaigns and then you know on top of it all has this you know slightly uh slight violation of free expression on top of it all <laughs> mm -hmm. well at least doug ford and company will be able to say that they made history but not for, <laughs> not for, not for the right reasons in the minds of many now the notwithstanding clause has never been used in Ontario, it's a rare thing. Other provinces have used it, most notably Quebec, who used it many, many times, usually to do with language legislation and, and uh, preserving Quebec culture. Um, it's, 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 weird. it's a weird thing in that it's, you know, part of the Constitution is the ability to override the Constitution, mm -hmm. right? It's just, you can do this thing where it's like, well, we don't like that law, so we're going to stomp on it. Of all the things to use it for, you use it for this. Mm -hmm. And the, the the rhetoric that's come out of it from the conservatives has been pretty rich in my view about how the wealthy elites and special interest groups and corporations won't be drowning out 
individuals like Brian Lilly of the Toronto Sun and individuals such as that? Who does he mean by individuals? We all have the ability to speak out on things, but I don't think the average person in Ontario uh, feels they're being uh, stomped on by whatever amount that third parties want to spend on Ontario elections either way, right? This includes... Ontario Proud, but it also includes uh, any, you know, take your pick of unions and special interest groups and third parties. Um, like the, the, the rhetoric isn't really matching what, uh, the, the level that this is. I, I don't think. No, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of rich on top of it all because, you know, who, who helped put the, the Tories in power? I mean, yeah, a lot of it was on we with the, um, Ontario Liberals, but I mean, what was Ontario proud other than a third-party advertiser? Because they were able to do a lot of fundraising uh, from like a lot of typical PC donors uh, gave to Ontario Proud. Um, Ontario Proud was able to turn that into a fairly effective anti-liberal campaign that definitely helped Doug Ford get elected. I mean, again, it, it's it's not. Uh, it wasn't entirely Ontario Proud's doing, but you know they they definitely played a part. And it seems like this is meant to prevent something like that. And you know, with COVID, with cuts to education even before COVID, um, long, the long term care home issues, uh, education. Like there was a teacher. Like remember a couple of years ago when there was like a teachers' strike every week. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was going to be a lot of arrows and a lot of knives getting sharpened for this government, especially, I, I think, this summer um, when, you know, people are sort of getting back out there and able to get get together and talk and share, um, take stock, take into account. And I think they were worried that, you know, a lot of third party groups were going to be able to start forming a narrative this summer. And, um, well, they nipped that in the butt. And, and, and on top of it all. Just uh, like speaking of election priorities, I think this is going to be, I mean, it's not going to be a kill shot for opposition parties by any stretch of imagination, but it definitely is going to, in some quarters, spark, I would hope, some conversation about where exactly Doug Ford's priorities are. Whereas, you know, this law, this relatively minor thing about third party election spending, you know, prompts an immediate return to the legislature one week after it rises for the summer, midnight sessions, overnight sessions, weekend sessions to get this passed again. Meanwhile, there's, again, long-term care, public health, vaccines, economic recovery, education, just like a litany of things. It's like, well, what's the priority? Why are you putting all your emphasis? What are we spending a lot of time on? It turns out it's election advertising. And you got to wonder why that is. Well, because that's the focus, right? Getting reelected. But right. if if I'm remembering right, I don't recall them reconvening for any of the issues that you just named there. No, that's the it's point. It's usually, you know, they'll reconvene to uh, legislate people back to work who might be on strike, but or sure. for something like this. But they'll never. They, they didn't do it for COVID. They okay. It's not fair to say that they ran away. There were certain issues with COVID, but it was more like, well, we better take a step back, and we don't know what's going on. And but this is like, now that we do sort of have a better, bit better handle on things, then they they just run into the fray with with this thing. Now, Andrea Horvath called it 
horrifying. I don't know. She called it lots of things, but I I don't think this is quite horrifying. But it, it is. Mm-hmm. It's definitely. I would agree with those that are saying that it seems like an abuse of power. Oh, for sure. Considering what the not the notwithstanding clause is supposed to be, this you you use it. They keep calling it the nuclear option, but you do you you use it as a bit of a hammer to say no. We are absolutely not going to accept this for our province. We're going to slam down on. X, Y, Z, right? And the feds can use it too. And I don't think the, the feds have never used it, have they? No. No. Like the, they can, they can do it as well. It's, it's, there's never been an issue that's yet that, uh, where, where they've needed to use it. So this, it just seems like this is small ball stuff, right? So, right. which, which, which means I guess during the, well, the election period is now, and this is it too. They're, they're changing it up. The election's already on technically, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the the 12 month period so you're you're effectively changing the rules while the election is on and you've you've stretched it out so you can have this long oh my god it's just so long but of course and of course we're going to cover the whole thing <laughs> but it's, it's just with, with every new thing introduced like this it just gets more ridiculous right well i mean that's the point is um it, you know the always essentially the problem with fixed election dates although the choosing your election date has its issues too i confess but you know we have a one-year countdown and we've seen that i mean the both the greens and the ndp had like an official one-year countdown launch party on the same night and um you could tell with even our own mpp mike schreider his speech to the green party policy convention on the weekend was very much focused on you know it's only 355 days till you can maybe vote Doug Ford out and start thinking about things. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely an election calculation. I would point out too, that Doug Ford is also, uh, well-versed at interfering with elections in the middle of, of them happening because the last time he threatened to use a notwithstanding clause was to, um, force the new shape of Toronto city council on people, which also speaks to another personality conflict with, with Doug Ford, which is that, you know, he's been using the premiership to like get back at, people he hates whether it's you know toronto city council or teachers unions or uh, any unions uh you know library people who like the library i like who knows well i mean that's kind of been indicative of his his premiership like i was gonna say right up until covid hit but even here in the midst of covid he's still making time for payback which Again, it's not a good look. The question is whether that's going to matter to people in a year when we finally vote. Uh, that's and a that, good that's yeah. It, it's almost as if he's never changed it up from his municipal level, which you have no. to do when you're the premier. Maybe not when you're a backbencher or something, but this. I mean, even with all, all the business, which is normally for fun between the hockey teams and him coming out for the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is mayoral level stuff, right? That's yeah. John Tory yeah. territory or a councillor's territory. The premier getting in, it doesn't make any sense. There is another NHL team in uh, the province, right? So it's like, so if that went all from like notwithstanding to hockey, but it's like, <laughs> I'm just saying this is the level that we're working at, right? It's more concerned about stuff like that, which should not in these times be the priority. And instead, it's like they're going to, it, it, it's, it boggles the mind, really. Some minds, most minds, I would imagine. <laughs> I think it is indicative, though, of, of where Doug Ford's mind's at. I mean, that goes right back to the whole Arthur story from a oh, couple of months ago, right? Where he like he drops everything to go to drive a few blocks over to talk to this Arthur kid. It's like, 
okay, I get it. That's like a cute story, or it's supposed to be like a cute story about how you'll listen even to like the youngest of your your constituents. But like, come on, you know, you're the premier of the biggest province in the federation. Fifteen million people live here, and you get home and you see this letter from a kid, and you're like, I must talk to this kid immediately. And I mean, and then it, I mean that also extends way back when he was handing out his cell phone number to people. It's like again, you can do that when you're a city councilor. You can't do that when you're the premier of the province. Like understand understand the office you hold and maybe we won't be up in the middle of the night watching you <laughs> set fire to the constitution anyway yeah if, Ar- if arthur is real i mean whatever but that, that was that was just embarrassing to watch really <laughs> uh speaking of embarrassing to watch um or even just sad to watch you know the the green party uh having this inner inner family fight right now uh, on Wednesday, Anime Paul uh, had a press conference to uh, in the immediate aftermath of a vote of, well, not a vote of non-confidence. She was uh, she managed to maintain confidence by a slim five-four vote, um, but she was directed to uh, issue an apology and to have a press conference with uh, Green MP Paul Manley. And this stems from, um, well, uh, Jenica Artwin. Uh, who was was the Green MP for Fredericton, is now the Liberal MP for Fredericton, uh, and uh, who, this stems back to some comments made about um, the recent conflict between Israel and uh, the uh, Hamas, and uh, speaks to some bigger issues in the Green Party, and uh, whether or not Anime Paul has the full support of people in the Green Party, and uh, I don't know, it just seems ugly ugly all around and um i, I don't know what, what are your thoughts scotty because i have some thoughts but i want to hear your thoughts first well this isn't looking good for the greens in general but i think right. for for paul in particular and it almost let's put the issues aside for a sec because it has become about two different things it went from uh israel palestine comments and then somebody crossing the floor to and i caught a few pieces of that of that the press that she did and if I understand it right, she didn't actually do what was asked of her that, which was to kind of, Mm-mm. I believe the, the Green Council was asking her to apologize, to sort of, it was like a unity statement, but also to kind of, I guess, right. to denounce Zatman, who was the uh, her advisor, who was the one that said, I, we're going to go after the other Greens and get rid of them, and they're anti-Semitic, and blah, whatever yeah. the rant was. I'm paraphrasing right. there, obviously. Yeah. But then it became it, it became all about um, there seemed to be this kind of "how dare you" tone. Like she's she's doubling right. down, right? It's like I can't. It's like I can't believe you asked this of me, and and I do understand uh, completely. And most people understand the concerns about saying that they, she is saying that there's like a sexist, racist element to what went down. But I don't. I don't think it's that simple. No, because it, it's definitely, definitely you cannot reduce this down to simplify it just to that. Those are issues, indeed. Mm-hmm. But how did this all start? It was Atwin felt that she wasn't getting any backing from from the top. And yeah. Paul said it herself that they didn't really have any discussions about the issue. It's like, well, that is the problem. And weirdly, I think I read it in the Taiyi. They're yeah. saying that Manley and Elizabeth May are trying to encourage Atwell to cross the floor back. This is totally unprecedented yeah. territory. They're trying they're trying to bring her back. And a comment Elizabeth May made was like, well, what what should we have done to support Jenica as an MP? You know what they should have done? They should have supported her as an MP. <laughs> like, not just the other 
not just the other her, the fellow MPs party of three, but the whole the whole gang. She's the only uh, green west or east of like what Haida Gwaii, right? This like yeah. it's vast. You know they they re- they really needed her and obviously didn't step up. And when I'm saying they, I mean the the whole gang didn't step up. But particularly, it sounds like uh, enemy Paul really dropped the ball. And I'm not saying that those others who she brought up aren't important, but it's right. just like when you're present as something as chaotic as all of this has, the general public just goes, "Whoa!" If you don't have this together, then I don't know, right? There was there are so many levels to this. It's like, first of all, she is the first black woman to lead a, a major federal party, and I have little doubt there are there is sexism and racism afoot in 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 how she is handled and how she is viewed and how she is treated. Treated that that's just that that's kind of baked in the cookies, as it were. But 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 but. Um, her statement on Wednesday, it was like she went after that part of it. Then she went after Justin Trudeau and how he's not an ally and how he's his he's made it his mission to bring down women. And, you know, fair enough. He he brought down two women. <laughs> it's, you know, to save his political high, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. But I mean, are we really thinking in enemy Paul's head that Justin Trudeau is this Machiavellian Count of Monte Cristo hair? Like work like he's 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 like Nixon. He's like. Good-looking Richard Nixon sitting in the PMO going, guys, before the next election, we got to, you know, undo the... And he, he, he says this while doing the throat motion, uh, the, the hand across the throat motion, saying, yeah. Green Party, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think Justin Trudeau is terribly concerned about the Green Party. Yes, they will take Jenica Atwin and make her a liberal. They're okay with that. But um, at the end of the day, he, he really doesn't have to struggle and think about how to take down enemy Paul and the Green Party. It's not a concern. Um, then the part of this, the other part of this, too, is that Paul goes after Atwin and says, like, oh, she's just looking for an excuse to leave and and all this. And now you have two different narratives because you have Paul saying she wanted to go. So she I. I let her go. Meanwhile, you have Elizabeth May over here, elder stateswoman of the party and still very well loved saying like, no, we want her back. We love her. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay. So then which version of this is true? Um, she's, she was like lying in wait for a chance to cross the floor. Like she's uh, like a political operative of some kind as if, you know, people who cross the floor aren't usually viewed with like skepticism and opportunism. Or she was like, someone who wanted to be like who was a voice in the party people wanted her to be a voice in the party wanted her to be a player in the party and of course why wouldn't they like like you said she's the only person uh in the green party to have won a seat outside of bc at least at the federal level yeah so you know what version of this are we to are are we to believe and that's like the big one of the big questions that's going forward, is it the Paul version or is it the May version? And, you know, this, the schism is still there. And the press conference did absolutely nothing to um, to to get rid of that schism. To say nothing of, like, enemy Paul just, you know, seeming to... Uh, just, I, I think she was like... I'll, and maybe it's like the situation, like I'll cut you some slack for the stress, but she was like really contemptuous of the press. Like she was like conservative level contemptuous of the press. And I was just watching it thinking to myself, Greens, 
you want to play in the NHL. This is what playing in the NHL looks like. Sorry. They're, like, the press isn't going to be kind to you. Like, like when you're the little wee green party. You guys are major players now. This is the level you wanted to play at. You're going to have to show us you can play. And it's blowing up. Yeah. And that's, that is the problem with it. The, the optics are bad. Like, because all, like, people will see that and real and if they're following any narrative at all even just lightly it's it's you know chaos is the order of the day or seems to be that's the perception right so unless unless they can get that back in shape but this this is now the question because there's a countdown on they have some interesting rules like there's it's 30 days from this what was supposed to be uh her making amends at this press conference which she didn't do so 30 Mm. days from from now which yeah because it well, it happened, we're recording Wednesday. It happened Wednesday. They're going to mm. decide as to whether uh, she'll get. Uh, they'll have a leadership review at convention. But they, of course, the other thing that would that would I think would trigger trigger a leadership review uh, for Paul is that if there is a a clobbering at the polls, which is another possibility, right? If we mm-hmm. see an election in the fall, which seems to be the rumor in many quarters right now it's how everybody's and, acting anyway <laughs> yeah and if, if paul runs in toronto center like she did during the uh leadership uh so the leadership campaign was on and the by-election was on in toronto center and she so, got yeah, clobbered by marcy ian yeah. uh which would probably i'm gonna just take a guess that it would happen again um because that's it's, you know liberalish riding right uh there's Whereas Elizabeth May traveled to get her seat, really, right? Yeah, and that took that actually took a number of years. So you're building, you're building yeah. the brand, right? So now the yeah. the brand's just gone, boo. Um, they so they had there. There's a lot of soul searching on the horizon for them, and their I guess their council is down a few numbers now. Like John Kidder stepped down, who was happens to be Elizabeth May's partner, mm-hmm. somebody else, and it was mentioned that the two uh, two members from the Atlantic. Would it be the no the the Atlantic Federal Councilors? I guess they are. I was going to say the Atlantic Caucus mm-hmm. stepped down, and I think uh, um, almost said Elizabeth May, anime Paul <laughs> kind of uh, intimated at the at the her conference there that they were the problem. Mm-hmm. Like it seems everyone is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the normal political answer is like, well, we've you know we've done a lot of soul searching. We had some productive discussions, and uh, we're going to take it back to the you know you just you. It's easy. We, we've seen enough times we can do it, right? You know, <laughs> you know how this is supposed to go. I could probably like throw something off the cuff there that is is like this is what you're actually supposed to say if you're trying to do this, yeah. but instead it it came off as just like, well, you're gonna throw a grenade at me. I'm gonna throw one right back at the press and everybody and the council. And she didn't seem happy. No, I mean, like, and I understand why she wouldn't seem yeah. happy because there's so much pressure on. But there, yeah. there wasn't, even, uh, there was no attempt to sort of bring a bring a different atmosphere to it at all, which is normally what you do when you're trying to 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 patch things up, right? And as a leader, right? Like, are you a Doug Ford or are you? <laughs> I'm not saying that she is, but this is you know yeah, the, yeah. leadership styles, and there is a way to do it. Trudeau is very good at it, regardless of what you think of his politics. He is good at that at the spiel. Right. I mean, Trudeau is really good at um, 
you know, when people ask him like a combative question, he's like, uh, well, uh, when you see we're, we're going to uh, move ahead and we're going to achieve our goals, whatever they may be, and uh, we're going to um, keep our heads down and do the work because that's what Canadians expect. That is like that's Can Trudeau. And again, I can do it like yeah. <laughs> it's it just um, but, but yeah, has a slight smirk at the end where you know it's hurting him to say it. Watch for that, people. What, if he does that little smile, it's like he's just like, I did not like that question. But again, yeah, yeah. just in present in presenting that, this is and this is all politics aside. This is leadership yeah. style. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know where you're getting with Trudeau, and I like to interview him because he can he does that right. But this was like he can duck and weave. He's a boxer, but he yeah, can duck and weave, and he's had lots of training at it too. And I'm sure. Enemy Paul's a completely capable person, but in that slot, you know, you gotta like. Oh, I'm almost almost made a hockey metaphor there, but I won't. But <laughs> I mean, you can hear the, you have to you, skate where the puck is going, right, or yeah, whatever, yeah. right. But at yeah. that press conference, you could hear the gong. There was a moment where somebody where somebody asked her about like the recommendation from the council about how she had to come out and do a press conference with uh, Paul Manley to address this directly, and she didn't do that. And and somebody asked her about it, and she's like. Oh well, you know I haven't read the recommendation yet, and the guy, the, the reporter said part. to her, because it hasn't been like quote unquote formally released yet. And then right. reporter says to her, it's like, well, what are you talking about? Everybody knows what the recommendation was, regardless of whether or not you got it on like Green Party Leatherhead or not. And you know, Ooh. it's just, it just, it's just, it's just, it just, it wasn't a great answer. And instead of just coming out and saying like, well. You know, we have to work with Paul's schedule. We have to, you know, we're going to set something up. We want to, like, we want it to, we want it to really matter. We don't want it to look like we're doing it because we have to. Um, so we're we're trying to do like this big family reunion thing. That was the answer she should have went for, um, but sadly missed the mark. This is like a Springer style family reunion, I think. <laughs> right, not a comparison you want. Uh, but uh, we will miss our mark if we don't throw it to break right now. So we're going to do that. Uh, we will have Mark McKinnon next. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Newlywed a year ago. We're just still checking each other out. Hey, nobody. To blow, nobody wants to be left out. Uh huh. You can't leave, cause your heart is there. But you, you can't stay, cause you've been somewhere else. You can't cry, cause you look broke down. But you're crying anyway, cause you're all broke down. It's a family affair. It's a family affair. And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell. And I'm happy to say, when I saw them on CTV News, they looked very open on Record Store Day. Big lineup, so that's mm. fantastic. So, yes, you can go in. Yes. How long was the last? We don't two, know. But two or three at a time, you can go in. Go check our friends out down there. Anyway, from 1971, a song for the times, even today, 50 years later, from the album There's a Riot Going On. That was Sly and the Family Stone with It's a Family Affair. Mm-hmm. Whether there it's it. getting your vaccines or whatever, it's just... 
Well, fortunately, there was no riot going on at the city council meeting this week because uh, city council did vote to enact a Part 5 heritage designation for the Ontario Reformatory Lands. Uh, So that is going forward to explore making that area a heritage district, which I know mattered to a lot of people because there were four hours of delegations about it. Moving on, though, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it's one of the topics that uh, we talk about this week with Ward 6 City Councilor Mark McKinnon. I will note that the reformatory lands are technically not in his ward, but uh, they are important to the whole city. And so uh, and it was important to get Mark's opinion. And we also get Mark's opinion about the upcoming ward boundary decision and the council composition decision. Uh, the consultant is saying eight councilors, one from each of eight wards. Uh, we know there's a lot of disagreement out there in the community, so uh, we'll be sorting that out at City Council this week. But for now, let's get uh, Mark McKinnon's perspective, and we will hit play on the interview right now. So, Mark McKinnon, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it's great being on again, uh, Adam. Thank you. Well, it's great having you. Uh, it's been a busy... F- I was going to say it's been a busy few weeks, but it's really been a busy few months at council. But uh, working backwards uh, from this past Monday, the, the decision on the Ontario reformatory lands, uh, that seemed... Uh, the, the, let me phrase it this way. I was expecting more of a fight uh, between people who on council who may be, let's say, heritage skeptical at the moment. And there's certainly been comments about that, about being like overly enthusiastic about heritage designations and other people on council who are heritage enthusiastic. But I mean, take me inside from the council perspective. What were you, what were your expectations on Monday night? Yeah, sir. I mean, it, I mean, I kind of have a little bit of inside information in the sense that I talk to to people before meetings and I talk to councillors regularly. And maybe at one point it was looking like um, that might not have gone the direction it was. But of course, by the time the meeting had started, uh, it was effectively unanimous before before we had three to four hours of delegations uh, talking about something that we're going to vote unanimous anyway on it. Uh, I think the big thing it came down to is there's some of us on council that thought that staff's recommendation was solid. Mm. You know, part four is what was needed to do the right level of protection. It's what the province asked for. It's what the staff recommended. And there was a many of us that that said, yes, we have to do a part four. So I think early on when the, the talk about part five came up, there was maybe some discussion or some thoughts that it would be instead of a part four. And that for many of us wasn't acceptable because the part four was the the correct way to give the most amount of protection we thought. Now, in the end, doing a part four and then a part five, yes, maybe a bit of an overkill, maybe a bit expensive uh, and certainly takes more time, but it's it was fine in order to you know, give the the protection to both the property and the buildings doing it that way. And so staff recommendation was on point. And then going beyond that with what the Heritage Guelph recommended and uh, some constituents were recommending, that was fine too. And so there's really, it was a compromise. I wouldn't even say it's a compromise. It was just added on. So we took what staff gave us, added on top of there, the part five, and now we're moving forward with that. So there was certainly 
by the time the meeting started, as, as I said, I knew what was going to happen, uh, how it was going to play out. But early on in the process, when things first come out on, on paper, there's a lot of people chatting on the internet anytime that happens when something first comes out and everyone freaks out about what's written <laughs> on paper. Uh, and then, of course, by the time meetings are actually held, things have had a chance to percolate and, and get organized and, and counsel. Often when we get a report, we get a report, the first eyes on it, the same time that every resident in Guelph gets first eyes on it. And so we need time to interact with staff, to do our own research, digest the information. And so it sometimes takes us a while to fully understand the, the ramifications of scope of what's going on as well. So in the end, it was a, it was a good process. Uh, the meeting was long, but it was long based on uh, residents wanting to have their say. And that's how we work on council. Mm-hmm. It's it's also a unique circumstance because I mean thinking about something like Ward West where we're talking about predominantly privately owned property and something right. like the OR lands which is currently in three different you know pu essentially public entities so I guess that makes it a bit easier that we're we're in a position yet where we're not imposing. Not to say that pejoratively, but imposing a heritage designation on people who may not be expecting it or. Right. And, 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 and I understand exactly where you're coming from uh, with that. Certainly no anyone looking at making further purchases from the province would know kind of what the city is going through. But I'm a, a big proponent of private property rights. I mean, my, my background as a realtor, as well as my background as a counselor, I put it very heavily towards you, you don't impose things on people's properties. If you think something is so important that the government needs to impose something, then the government can expropriate that property, buy it, and then do whatever they want with it. But if you were to have someone's house, that they own a house, they bought a house under condition A, and then we just unilaterally change that condition. I think there would have to be extraneous circumstances to make that happen. So anytime a heritage application comes before the city, uh, usually the property owner is in favor of them. So if they want to say, hey, uh, you know, yes, I agree. My, pro my house should be on the list or my house should be given full designation. And they agree with it. And I have no problem if everyone is on board, let's go ahead with it. But for something like heritage districts, for example, if, if I live in a heritage district and I do not want to be designated for it, I don't think I should have to be part of a heritage district that puts a, an onus on my prop, private property because I purchased it without that designation being there. Right. And I think that, I mean, but that goes for, for a lot of things. You can extend that out to my thoughts about the dining district downtown, not to dramatically change subjects. But <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm a business owner and I rent a storefront and set everything up with the understanding that there is a street in front of my property that cars drive down and that drive, delivery cars can park in front of, for anyone to change that, that idea when I have my lease is under certain conditions and for council to come in and change those conditions without any kind of notice. Uh, I, I just don't think that's a good use of government resources. So heritage designations are something that, yeah, you're right. It, it can put an onus on a private property owner. And I would have to have a very strong reason to put something on without getting any information. And so one of the, the ones that did come up was the stone house that's in, in deep uh, South Guelph and Ward 6, close to that's kind of between the Hanlon and the business park, right. where whenever they had purchased the property, it was purchased <clears throat> with the idea that should they ever put forward any kind of application to demolish, it may be of interest to the Heritage Committee, and therefore we may do something. And so whenever the part of the property was severed a long time ago to 
create the business park. That was the understanding at that time. So when it comes forward and they say, hey, we want to demolish the building, and then suddenly we slap on a potential heritage designation, that was they knew it was happening with that. So again, it's putting uh, a restrictions on private property, but there was foreknowledge about that. And as right. long as to me, it's all about the, the information and foreknowledge. When you buy a property, if you buy a property that has a heritage designation, you know <clears throat> that that goes with the property. If you buy a property without it, and then government comes in and slaps it on afterwards, that is now interfering with your private usage. And that's something that you can't say never happens. Right. But we're also not dealing with with the pyramids of Giza here. Like it, it, they are, <laughs> they are hundred year old houses, and uh, maybe two hundred year old, one hundred and fifty. And I think we have to take that in perspective. It can't be the only factor, but it has to be a factor. The fact that the province was on board with a, with a, a stage four or a part four designation made it a, an easy choice. Staff recommended it. Private wants it. Let's do part four. Part five was a little bit more of a stretch, but in the end, uh, it it seemed to make logical sense to do that in addition to four. And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the GID plan does allow for like certain protections for that property or aspects of that property, which, you know, went along with the, the specific part four recommendations of the. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. There is a lot of protection that was already baked in on everything that we've done in the past already. The, the part four is one more level of protection, which I think is a good idea. And the province agreed and the staff agreed. Um, so I don't think people, uh, may not understand that you know we're not going <laughs> to pave over paradise, uh, make a parking lot out of it. At the same time, people also have to understand that what we're going to do is not going to prevent uh, an, a potential future owner, whoever it may be, if the city uh, or if the province sells the property, uh, to put up a gate and, and block all the, the the passages. If it's their private property, they don't have to allow right. the the routes back there. That's not you know the conservation paths or people that like the walking paths. That's not public property. That is private property. Private being the province of Ontario right now. But if a developer ends up taking it and puts up a fence and says, okay, we're, we're closing down this route, there's nothing that the city can do about it because we, we can't force uh, a trail path over someone's private property. Yeah. And and to reference back to the song you just mentioned, I think Joni Mitchell does deserve residuals from Monday's meeting. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I realize this is getting into areas involving council confidences and things said in camera. But is is it like are we close to uh, a sale of that land? Is uh, is it like even just ballpark, like by the end of the year, could there be a sale of that property? I, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, it's public knowledge that there was it was up for sale previously. A potential buyer was found, and that it did end up going through. I mean, that's that's not private knowledge. Mm. Uh, and so the I'm sure the province is going to put it up for sale, try to find a buyer, and at some point a buyer may or may not be found. That's hopefully may. We have a secondary plan already in place for that area. And so obviously we have desires according to our official plan how it should be done. Could that be overruled? Yes. Do we want it to be? No. I mean we we do have you know we put an official plan in there for particular purposes. So yeah, by the end of the year is maybe fast for anything of this scale. I mean, this is really big and there's a lot of uh, legalese that has to go through and a lot of due diligence. But I would say if it's not sold sometime in the next, say, 18 months, it will be surprising because it's prime land. Guelph is ripe for development and just within our boundaries, 
there's not a lot of land left to develop that's um, reasonable. And this is a great location for it. So yeah, I think there's a good chance that someone will come in, but will that developer have the same vision as a province, have the same vision as a city? Uh, we're hoping so, but we can't control that uh, mm -hmm. at this point. It, it's all in the province's hand to work out with a buyer what the uh, the you know if they're going to come to an agreement on selling. Once it goes to zoning and development and whatnot, then we do have a say with our official plans. But as we know, um, you know every everything is changeable and everything is negotiable, and it's not always done by our designs. With MZOs, for example, can right. change our our opinions on what we want to do, and there's not a lot of of choice we have on that. But we're all of us on council, I think, are optimistic that we're going to be be proceeding forward in the best way possible. You said the magic letters MZO. Um... And I know that there were some delegates who were concerned about that. Um, so what, theoretically speaking, the province could sell the property to someone who could ask for an MZO and council would have, the city of Guelph would have no input at all. Like it would be like a kind of a deal between those two parties and would basically cut us out. Um, well, 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 kind of. I mean, in the end, the city still has has a say. Um, now, you know, are we going to be listened to that? That's a different thing. And no one um, has the ability to force an MZO. So if a, if a developer wants to buy the land, they can't say, we'll do an MZO. But what right. they can say to the province, perhaps, is, hey, we want to buy this. If you did an MZO, we'll pay you X amount of money. Uh, in order because this is our vision for it, but it's only worth it if it is done the way we want it to do. And right. so in the end, provinces, you know, they're, they're a business, they're just a very big business, and they can make a decision that's best for them, even if it may not be best interest of Guelph. But of course, anything that happens, Guelph would, would have a say. It's just, you know, we're, we're, good, we're good partners with the province. It doesn't mean we're equal partners with the province, right. particularly on something that is their property. It's not our property. Though, again, because Guelph owns a piece of that property, we have like sort of a, a, like it would it'd be a bigger say if we didn't own any part of the property at all. Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, being neighbors certainly right. <laughs> plays a factor of it. But I think that it's within the city boundary and there's already an official plan placed right. on that zone. I think any any provincial government, whether it's a current one or a future one, if it, you know, if this sale extends for a long period, is going to want to to be good partners. And you know, we want to have good relationships with the federal government, with the provincial government. And I think they want to have good relations with us as well. So I think it's within everybody's best interest to find a buyer that wants to adhere to city of Guelph's plan for that area, because I think, I think there's a lot of money to be made. And I think there's some amazing aspects that can be done. That's going to make that place uh, like a real crowning gem for the city. Once it gets built up and developed. I want to look forward a bit now to the, this coming Monday's meeting, the one about the ward boundaries and council composition. I wanted to get your take. So, on that, something. so that is Wednesday, just, just to clarify. So Mondays is, are, it, is yeah, is it's, it? it's the Wednesday meeting. Okay. Um, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, anyway, uh, <laughs> looking at that, yeah, it, it is Wednesday, June the twenty third. Is like, oh, sorry, there's a delegate, and then there's a decision. So you're right, and I'm right as well. It's Monday, <laughs> and then Wednesday. So we do hear from the public on the Monday, and then on Wednesday we make a decision. Everybody's right. That's how we like yes. it. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to ask you what's something your wardmate Dominique Rourke yeah, sure. said in her newsletter. Um, she's made the point and I, I don't think she explained like where her thoughts are in terms of like a future vote but she did note that in at least one of the ward six maps she felt that uh, that your the current ward six was still underrepresented 
and I wanted to get your thoughts. Like, is Ward 6, I guess, kind of the... I don't want to say victim, but, you know, is it kind of still the last man on the totem pole if we're still looking at six wards in the future? Well, I mean, certainly you can take an angle that perhaps Ward 6 is actually overrepresented because Dominique and I are amazing. Uh, (laughs) So you could could take that position. But from a strictly population-based point of view, it's very difficult to balance Ward 6 appropriately because what's if you balance Ward 6 for June 2021... It's going to be out of balance July 2022 mm. because there's always so much development going on in Ward 6. We're adding on tons of development all the time. So it's really difficult to get a perfect designation for it. Where some of the other wards that are more, let's say, fixed in their development, they may have an infill where two or three houses get replaced by six townhomes. Well, that's very different than shoving up a thousand people in a condo development that's happening in Ward 6. So um, yeah, Ward 6 is always going to be difficult. And we could take the position that the south end of Guelph's, the borders of what the the north part of the south end of Gulf, that border needs to be redrawn every four years and keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking because the south part of Guelph keeps growing, growing, growing. So yeah, I, I do take that position that we are the fastest growing ward. Ward one's not bad. Ward four is not bad. Uh, two and three and five are a little more static, but ward six is by far the, the fastest growing on that. So there's no ideal solution. Anything you set for today is not going to be what's set for the future, but there are definite corrections that have to be done as of right now. They are so out of whack that mm-hmm. some dramatic steps have to be taken in at least this composition. And then in the future, we can look at what happens four years down the road. So having said all that, uh, are you leaning towards the eight ward model? So if we were to, if anyone was to, to do a news search about me and wards and goes back four or five years, uh, you know, I, I'm very publicly on the record that's saying that I think that council should be a full-time job. Um, and if someone had asked me four or five years ago, what the Guelph should look like, I would have said eight wards, full-time counselors per ward. I mean, that's, that's what I had called that. That is to me, the best way to represent the city going forward. So what came through as a recommendation does not surprise me at all, because I think it is probably the most, uh, perhaps the, the, the best approach from a management point of view. And sitting on council and being involved in the work, I may have a very different perspective than someone who's not on council, who sees it as, a, as an individual. They want representation. And so they might have a different perspective than I do. That's not to say that our current model is flawed. Mm. Yes, there, there could be different population issues, but that could be adjusted with line redrawing. And, and I think what we have is, is good. And in fact, there's a reason why Guelph is consistently popping up and you know, the top Canada lists of so many things that it checks off on livability and, and housing and um, you know, green and so many reasons. We are a great city and we're run well. I think there's room for improvement. And uh, the decision report that came back from the those recommendation from consultants plays into what I think is, is also probably the correct path forward, even if it's not the most popular path forward by you know number of people answering a survey, mm-hmm. which is important. Uh, the biggest problem with, I think, the way they the report was done is the conclusions it comes to and how it comes to those conclusions uh, may not align with how people are reading the data. Right. Uh, and so I think, I think that's a little unfortunate. Anytime you have people 
that, that can disagree with how something is written. And uh, I think it, it is an unfortunate situation. I think it's a solid recommendation. I don't know what I'm going to vote for at this point. I think I like the eight wards. I think there's a real strong advantage with having the downtown as a single ward, as opposed to dividing it up as it currently is. I think smaller wards give an opportunity to be more locally focused for a ward counselor, which I think is an advantage. Not, not to say that it's a, the most important thing, because while I am a ward six counselor, I've always considered myself a city of Guelph counselor. That's what I am. I just happen to be more in touch with that happening in South Gulf, but I'm a city of Guelph counselor, as every counselor is a city counselor, not a ward counselor. Right. So I think that there are some advantages certainly with the eight word model, it, it solves a lot of problems. And that part of it goes with the fact that they're recommending uh, a higher level engagement from their government representatives through full-time work. So, uh, you know, compensation dollars isn't the exact same as full versus part-time work. And right. one could argue you can do full-time work with part-time hours or part-time work with full-time. I mean, you could do it kind of either way. Uh, but I think the, the idea of dropping to eight counselors does imply more work for every counselor. And that does imply more a full of a full-time position, which I think given the, the level of work that can be involved with being a counselor is certainly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're pretty in touch with your constituents. Uh, how do they feel? Um, have you got a lot of feedback about specific direction from them? Uh, I, I would say not a lot directly. And the interesting thing is, I mean, if you're, Anyone who's on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or, or what, we're all in an echo chamber. We think that because we see a bunch of posts on it, this is the most important thing ever. <laughs> if you were to poll the average person in Guelph about war boundary reviews, most of them would just look at you with blank eyes and not understand what you're talking about. Because for most people, government does not play a factor in their lives until something goes wrong. So right. government isn't important until my garbage isn't picked up or until the roads aren't plowed or until something else happens. But for most people, they just want the city to run. The, the pundits or the people who revolve in these circles that are interested in government and governance, like I am, like you are, like many other people who are on Twitter who are talking about this, who write letters into their counselors, these are the minority of people who are engaging in what's happening. And then you have different levels of the engagement. So you have people who are engaging, but not really fully understanding. And then you have the other people on the far end of that stuff who go into excruciating amounts of detail and are fully engaged and are fully informed. And what, what I'm seeing in Ward 6 is that very few people are coming up to me uh, or through email and having <laughs> long engagements or or in-depth engagements about the ward boundaries. What you do is you do typically get, as most people see on social media or quick emails, uh, you get your, your headlines, your snapshots, your, your snapshots about, oh, I don't like this. Uh, six wards means uh, better representation, more right. representation, believe the will of the people, um, all of the, all the, the, almost the news bites or the sound clips. And I think that's the, the level of engagement that most people are going to be in because they're, they're not engaged full time in this, nor should they be. Um, everyone has different levels of what they're interested in. And the, the government spectrum typically is a lot lower what people are interested in versus um, something else, for example. <laughs> but certainly, I would not say that there has been a high level of interest either way. I have more people interested in a South End Community Center. When is that going to open? Then how are you going to redraw the boundaries of democracy? Uh, right. Far more people interested in the South End Community Center. So no, I, I haven't had a lot of people 
reach out to me and say, I love eight wards, but I also haven't had a lot of people uh, reach out to me. That's not part of a, uh, maybe a campaign of, of let's get together and, and send out form letters to counselors. I haven't had a lot of people reach out to me and say, well, I also don't think, uh, I think it should be six wards and I think it should be 12 counselors per ward. Some people, it's about the money. They're like, why are you charging more? I don't want fewer counselors with that's going to cost us more money. For right. other people, it's about representation that, um, well, I, I like the fact that I have 12 people. I think that's better than eight people. And some people even think that, for some reason, if, if there's only one counselor per ward, which works in the, by far the majority of cities all across this, the, the country, but for some reason, dropping from two to one, they're going to lose representation, that they're, that they're going to have no options. When the reality is, uh, if, we, if we drop to, to 10 or eight or six counselors, they still have 10 or eight or six counselors. The ward, the ward boundaries do not make a difference. If someone contacts me from Speedvale Avenue about an issue, yes, I can direct them to say, hey, do you want to engage with your counselor in your area? But I can also uh, engage with them directly because they're a city of Guelph resident and I'm a city of Guelph counselor. So a lot of the, the arguments that are coming up, to me, they, they don't they don't wash from my perspective as being someone in the government that's doing the, the decision-making and the researching and making these, the, these uh, I guess, the movements of, of what, what it takes to manage the city of Guelph. I don't think that they, they wash with me, but they're important to people. If, if someone says, I'm concerned about X, then they are concerned about it. And, and I honestly believe that they have that concern, even if I don't share that concern. So we have to listen to people and we have to, to hear what they have to say. And then we have to do what's right for the city through a vote. And that's not what is popular. That's not what a, a survey says. Governments do, uh, well, our current government, <laughs> and we're not going back a thousand years ago when you had a village of 10 people making decisions. Right. Um, we have a representational democracy. And that means that if something comes up, it does not mean we have to do what residents want. It means we have to do what is best. So if we were to ask, if we polled 130,000 people in the city, do you want your taxes to go up by 1% so we can do X, build a library, build a South End Community Center, fund the police more, whatever it is. I would say on almost any issue, more than half the people would not agree to their taxes being increased for a particular project. That does not mean it's the right decision. All right. Well, that is the preview for next week's meetings uh, in a nutshell. So I appreciate that. But uh, we'll have to end the interview there. And uh, I'll just say, well, Mark, thank you so much for all your time today. And uh, thanks for coming on Open Sources again. Thanks again. It's great to see you. I look forward to the next time. And once again, that was Ward 6 City Councilor Mark McKinnon, and uh, we will see what happens next week with the the Ward Boundary Review. Maybe uh, we'll have to start collecting eight councilors at a time in a, next year, or I guess the year after. What yes. year is it? Who knows? Moving Statistically, on. we'll probably be able to get all of them, but there's only one ward in my universe, as you know, so that's <laughs> never going to change. Never! <sighs> Well, uh, in tribute to the ward, we will, or maybe in spite of the ward, we will try and end on time here because uh, we know time moves differently in the ward. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com, or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. To listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday. You can get it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca.
I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU beyond this, listening to this fine station, coast to coast through the air, check out CFRU.ca, and you'll be amazed at all the things that are there. Tell you everything about Adam's other 19 shows and <laughs> more on open sources, and just it's all there. It is all there, and maybe we will get to be there again someday. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for DJ Sounds. Good to be here at the top of the hour on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back virtually or in whatever form we can take next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources, and we will see you then. (laughs) 